This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction. This is your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world, along with tips and strategies for maximizing your career in tech. We also bring you interviews with the leading women in the tech industry, talk to youth who are rapidly building their tech knowledge, and review business solutions that will give you insights on how technology is solving business problems. Now, here's your host, Jennifer Didier. Welcome, and thank you for joining me on Tech in the Right Direction. I'm your host, Jennifer Didier, President and CEO of Directions Training. Each week, we talk with industry experts about technology trends that are emerging and changing businesses today, the career journey of IT professionals, understanding the world of women in tech, as well as talking to our youth that are rapidly building their technology skill sets. We also review case studies that provide insight into how technology is solving business and world problems. I'm excited about our guest today, so let's get moving in the right direction. This week in our Tech Careers segment, I will be talking with Keith Boyd. Keith joined Microsoft in 2000 as a software test engineer, working on Windows and Internet Explorer, working on every version of Windows from Windows 2000 to Windows 8.1. He's held director-level positions in the cloud and enterprise division, worldwide learning team, and most recently in core services, engineering and operations, where he manages a global team that's responsible for Microsoft field seller productivity and worldwide data operations. Welcome to the show, Keith. I'm so excited to have you on. Hey, thanks so much, Jennifer. I'm excited to be here. So let's get started. Uh, Can you share with us a little bit about your career path in technology? Sure. So, you know, I I got my start in this field as a very young person. Uh, I I taught myself how to program. And of course, you know, we're talking like basic, which isn't exactly something you put on your resume these days, but I was only 10 years old on an Atari uh, 800. Uh, there was another episode when I uh, when I got to college. Uh, I wasn't convinced that I was uh, you know cut out for computer science because I didn't really want to do all the hard mathematics associated with it. So I pursued a degree in journalism, and uh, you know was thinking about English. And I'll tell you what what started to pull me back was when I was uh, an undergraduate. I was at my campus radio station in 1994 when we got the idea that in order to improve the total number of people that actually hear the, the station, which was only 100 watts at the time, mm-hmm. and start broadcasting our signal over the internet, which was a pretty crazy outlandish idea in January of 1994. And in fact, when we mm-hmm. did it, we, uh, we thought we were the first radio station in the world to actually stream our signal. Now, as it turns oh. out, we were the second radio station to stream our signal, but by one week. So we lost out to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So that was a really fun moment for me that kind of pulled me back towards a career in tech. And a few years later, I uh, I ended up interviewing at, uh, at Microsoft after having taught myself HTML and scripting to support uh, the statewide student association in the state of Washington, where we used the website to, Organize students to try to uh, to lobby on behalf of uh, of, of student interests. So it's uh, it's been uh, great fun. I've been at Microsoft now for 20 years in a number of different capacities, and uh, there's never a dull moment. 
What a great career path. Um, you mentioned basic and yeah. I wanted to, it reminded me of, you know, I can date myself. I, <laughs> I have a um, computer science degree yeah. and I have Fortran, COBOL, oh, yeah. RPG. <laughs> so yeah. I'm is way older something? than you. <laughs> well, and you know, the funny thing is too, and this is a really interesting uh, point, I think, is that when people put computer science, you know, degrees on their resumes, you know, it's really only if it's been in maybe the last 10 years that it's particularly relevant because yeah. the pace of change has just been so great in our industry. I mean, it, it says something about, you know, maybe an affinity for, for mathematics and logic, but, you know, like you just pointed out, it's not like Fortran's going to get you too many jobs these days. That's right. So, yeah, it's really interesting. So um, you kind of went through the path of, uh, you know, uh, how you're paths change from technology and outside of technology. Did you always know that working with technology was what you wanted to do? When was that spark created? Yeah. How did you how did you find out? Yeah, no, really interesting question. I think one of the, the ways, I mean, I, I just love things with, you know, lights and and uh, and sounds and, you know, digital, you know, um, interactive modalities. I mean, I've always been attracted to these things. So, you know, even from the moment that I played like an Atari 2600 as a kid, I thought that it was, it was fun. Um, but uh, I think maybe the thing that shaped me the most was growing up in Seattle in the 80s, knowing that this, you know, juggernaut was being built on the east side of Lake Washington. I went to Garfield High School, which is actually in the Seattle area. But, you know, Bill Gates started to become this legend by the time I was a freshman. And of course, you know, Microsoft had emerged as a major corporate power by the time I, you know, graduated from high school and went up to uh, went up to my university. So I think from the moment that I saw that building and, and part of it just just being, you know, Seattle pride, it was something that I wanted to be a part of. So, you know, taking my my sort of love of digital and devices and video games and, you know, thinking about could I actually make a career at Microsoft? Uh, that was a pretty appealing, pretty exciting, you know, thing for me to consider, you know, as a young person growing up in Seattle in the 80s. That's great. You manifested that and made it I happen. I guess. I think so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so the tech industry, obviously, is one of the most competitive job markets. Um, there's a huge demand for tech skills. Right. Um, so what do you do to set up, set yourself apart from other candidates? Yeah, you know, it's such a great question. What I've really tried to do is be able to walk that fine line between business acumen and technical excellence. And, uh, you know, to do that, I was able to, and, and, you know, boy, Microsoft has changed a lot over the years, you know, in, in uh, 2000, when I started, you know, just being smart and uh, knowing some scripting and having a little bit of uh, background in .NET and, you know, being fluent in HTML. I mean, that was enough to get you in the door. Mm -hmm. It was an entry level position. Uh, but but I tell my kids all the time that that wouldn't even get you a second look these days. Right. So um, you really do have to continue to invest in yourself these days if you're going to stay relevant in our profession. So, you know, for me, the way that I've tried to stay relevant is by having deep enough technical skills, which, you know, I've built those up over the course of 13 years working in the Windows division, then a few more working in cloud and enterprise, you know, and mm -hmm. one of my favorite moments in my career was when we launched Windows Phone 7. It obviously didn't do that well in the marketplace, but, you know, it was obviously a fun time to be at Microsoft. And, you know, I was able to build several apps, you know, that launched with the platform. And that was just a, a really fun moment to demonstrate all the things that I'd learned that I could now 
you know, as a developer, actually, you know, build things that were commercially viable. So I was able to build my tech skills as a Microsoft employee. I went back to school just a few years ago to get my MBA so that I could actually, you know, have sort of equal prowess on the business side. So for me, differentiating in the marketplace is all about ensuring that I've got you know, leading edge technology skills also backed up with solid foundational business skills that I can interface with both sides of Microsoft, both the engineering side, as well as the folks that are actually out there selling our solutions. I think you, you hit on a really, really good point. We're finding that uh, technical expertise is great, but today you need those soft skills, the business acumen, as you put it, um, to really round off your technical skills because today, uh, business is driving technology, whereas yeah. a few years ago, technology was driving business, you know. Yeah. So that interesting? Very, yeah. yeah, a lot very, of the technical decision makers now are actually business, you know, um, uh, executives, right? They're the ones that are making these decisions, not just the CIO or the CTO. So, you know, and it's funny, too, there's been this ongoing sort of debate, you know, should we even be calling them soft skills? I mean, to have extraordinary communication skills, I mean, that takes practice. It's not mm -hmm. that soft, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but what I do think maybe is the softer side and, and maybe is lacking sometimes in the information technology space is empathy. And I think that that is something that's softer. I think it's a little bit difficult to train, but having empathy for your users, having empathy for your customers, for your partners, I think that that is a, a special skill. And so, and as much as it might be difficult to learn, I would encourage all of us in the industry to try to be as empathetic as we possibly can for our users. And I think that's part of the rise of uh, the user experience profession, UX. I mean, you know, who needs to have more empathy for the user than the person or persons that are responsible for building out that user experience? I, mm -hmm. I always find their insights to be brilliant. Always look at it from their eyes because exactly. then, then you can understand it better. No, that's that's great. Um, so what are your thoughts on certification? I'll tell you, uh, it's changed a lot over the years. You know, once upon a time when our industry was just, you know, really struggling to, to find people that were qualified to take roles. And if you could operate a computer and had any programming skills, you know, you were hired. I probably thought that certification was unnecessary because, you know, you didn't need it to get in the door. These days, I believe that certification is absolutely critical. Given the pace of change in our profession, given the total number of technology stacks that are available out there for people uh, to invest in, I just I can't think of a better use of someone's time than to go out and get certified. Now, you can get certification in technical areas, you know, like uh, like Azure. Uh, or, uh, you know, AWS, but you can also get certified in some of those, you know, quote unquote, software areas too. One of the certifications that I recently completed was in, uh, was from an organization called Professional Sciences that offers certification in change management. And uh, I'll tell you, this day and age, with all of the technical change that's going on out there, being able to help in a business environment ensure that those technology changes land you know, is critical. So to go back and get certified in a, in a softer area like change management to go along with, you know, more technical certifications, I think is absolutely critical. So I think they're a great way to stand out from the crowd. And not only that, you know, I think maybe my favorite part about them is, you know, it's pretty rare that you just go up, you know, take the exam and pass. It's the training aspect, you know, getting into a classroom or finding a modality that works for you, getting your synapses firing again, learning something new, that's the most exhilarating thing about working in IT to me. It can be daunting given the pace of change sometimes, but 
you know, what's more thrilling than actually learning a new technology and mastering it and then demonstrating it through certification? It can be a real rush, not to mention a boon to your career. Yeah, I completely agree. I think certification has um, <clears throat> such huge value today in the industry uh, because it really gives you that stamp of approval, that skilled uh, expertise that, you know, you need uh, today in order to even get your foot in the door. And as a hiring uh, manager, I, I can just say, when I see that somebody has consistently invested in themselves, I'm impressed, right? I can see that, it, it, like that person is a go-getter. That person I can see is committed to lifelong learning. They're curious, right? right? So to me, it sets them apart from other you know, candidates, other applicants that maybe completed a degree five years, 10 years ago, but there's no evidence that they've continued to invest in self. Yeah, I know Microsoft also has uh, started not just, you know, talking about certification, but making sure all their employees are certified. Can you tell sure. me a little bit about that? Yeah, we, uh, you know, I'll tell you, dependent upon your role, um, <laughs> there are different regimes that apply to you now. And even for people that are just sellers, sellers of our solutions, sellers of our software, the expectation is that every year they're going to continue to invest in self by taking training courses and then passing the examination, getting certified. So it's an incredibly important part of the experience at Microsoft for both engineers as well as people that are in sales roles. And of course, you know, they're technical sales roles. And, you know, most of our salespeople are pretty technical. But mm -hmm. I love the fact that the company has that expectation and that the leaders are also affording people the time to learn the technology so that they can better harness our solutions out there in the field to solve problems. So it's a really big part of the Microsoft culture. In fact, one of the, my favorite quotes from Satya ever is that when he became CEO, he said he wanted the company to stop being the know-it-all company and turn into, transform into the learn-it-all company. It really speaks, I think, a lot about uh, the culture that he's instilled at Microsoft. That is great. I love that. Um, so where do you see technology in five years, 10 years from now? Where, where yeah. do you see, what's your vision? It's, it's, it's interesting. I think that uh, we're in a time of just sort of intense change, you know, intense disruption, uh, the, the amount of computing power that's now available, the amount of storage that's now available, it's just, it's unlocking so many scenarios that were kind of impossible before. You know, one thing that I think is obvious and sort of, you know, just, uh, you know, already happening all around us, we see the rise of Tesla, we see the investments that Ford and GM and Volkswagen and all of the other large auto manufacturers are, are making, but, you know, obviously autonomous driving, I mean, it's here. Now, how long until it becomes commonplace? How long until it becomes the case that you can just kind of get into your driving pod, press a button, and it'll take you directly to your office? I don't know, but it doesn't seem to me that 10 years is outside of the question. So, you know, I think that we're going to see that sort of, um, you know, real harnessing of the power of big data, artificial intelligence, machine learning, start taking some of these mundane tasks that are part of our daily lives, like commuting to work, and transforming them so that we can be more productive, we can be more effective. I mean, if I could reclaim the hour every day that it takes me to get to work and use that for learning as I just sort of sit there in my you know, autonomous vehicle, that could be pretty amazing. So is, yeah. I, I think that uh, you know, we're just gonna see the, the advent of really interesting solutions based on machine learning, artificial intelligence, big data and, uh, and cloud compute. I think all of those things are coming together to start to unlock a world of new possibilities 
most of which we haven't even considered yet. Yeah, we're seeing some of that already um, with um, this type of data creating automation. We're seeing a lot of insurance companies um, just automating the entire process of uh, accidents and claims. And so, you know, you can be in an accident, take pictures, um, upload them. It goes yeah. back to their database for years and years. They've got every kind of model car and every, um, you know, every stat in there as to what it costs and, and yeah. all of that. So they take that data and just bring out what's the best estimate to fix this car, cut a check, send it to the person, and they never have to have an adjuster involved. And that process is so much faster now. Uh, within 24 hours, you can end up, you know, with a check. And that's so digital it, transformation in action yeah. right there. I mean, you yeah. know, entirely digitizing, you know, a formerly inefficient, you know, paper-bound work stream. And so just mm -hmm. a great example, I think, of the kind of transformation we're going to see. Now, that also means that there's going to be disruption, you know, that former insurance adjuster that's been replaced by a really smart algorithm, what are they going to do? One of the uh -huh. best things they can do is start investing in self, right? Start right. studying up, you know, learn a little bit about what's happening in the cloud, you know, learn about cybersecurity, you know, become, uh, you know, an IT professional. These are the types of roles that are going to remain vital well into the future. But it is a little scary because a lot of the types of jobs in the past are going to be disrupted. You know, my father is a real estate agent, and we just kind of wonder out loud. I mean, thankfully, he's retirement age now, but how long, how much longer are we going to need realtors? Because right. most of what they provide can be already done online. And, you know, you get beyond the paperwork, which could also probably be done entirely online. And suddenly, that's an entire profession, an entire segment, you know, good, you know, white collar jobs that goes away. So I think it's exciting, but it's also a little bit scary for those people that are being disrupted. And it, it says that we have to reinvent ourselves on a regular basis. That's right. We can't yeah. stale because, yes, those jobs are going to go away, but then there's opportunity for so many new jobs that you could really put your mind to and enjoy. So like yeah. you said, you know, look at technology as a career. That's right. um, so that's that's great um, advice. And um if you could give one piece of career advice to our listeners yeah. that really are thinking about a career in technology, what would that be? Yeah. And, you know, there's so many little bits that I've picked up along the way, but I guess the one that I'll focus on is really just continue not just to invest in your skills, but, but also to build out your human network, that human capital that's all around you, because you're never going to know when it's going to be necessary to, you know, to reach out. You might be looking for new job opportunities. You might be looking for somebody to help you to solve a technical problem. You might just be looking for an alternate perspective. You know, when you're in an organization, and this happens all the time in places like Microsoft, we can get prone to groupthink or we can get prone to kind of living within our own you know, firewall and not considering alternate perspectives. So cultivate a network of individuals, both in your company but also, whenever you get a chance to get outside of those walls, you know, if you get to go to a conference or you just get to interact with somebody, even on an airplane, right? I had a great conversation once coming back from Singapore with a fellow who uh, was a salesperson for IBM. And, you know, Microsoft and IBM are competitors. But in that moment, we talked for about five hours between Singapore and Tokyo. I'm sure that we drove everybody around us crazy. Mm -hmm. I found a fast friend and some of it I still stay in touch with who offered just a world of, you know, life experience that was a little bit different than mine, but uh, was fascinating. And, you know, I really value having that outside perspective. So 
you know, to me, having that, uh, you know, that external link to this uh, profession, you know, making sure that not everybody I talk to is uh, prone to Microsoft groupthink has just been invaluable. That's great advice. Keith, it was a pleasure having you on the show. I look forward to having you as a guest uh, sometime again soon. Thank you. It was lots of fun, Jennifer. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Stay tuned for another exciting interview just around the corner. As your organization continues to embrace and adopt new technologies, does your team have the skills required to make the most of your investments? Directions Training offers IT professional and end-user training for the most popular solutions today, including Microsoft 365, Azure, AWS, Cisco, Citrix, VMware, and much more. Our flexible delivery methods and full customized offerings make sure that you get the training you need just the way you need it in-person, virtual, on-demand, or through a blended approach. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com for more information today. Welcome back to Tech in the Right Direction. This week in our Women in Tech segment, I will be talking with Jane Wiseman. Jane is an Innovations in American Government Fellow at the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation. She leads the Institute for Excellence in Government, a nonprofit consulting firm dedicated to improving government performance. She has served as an appointed official in government and as a financial advisor and consultant to government. She supports an effort to create a national network of urban chief data officers to accelerate the use of analytics in the local government. She has advised the U.S. cities funded by Bloomberg Philanthropies in their Mayor's Challenge competition. She has written on customer-centric government, data-driven decision-making in government, free trial justice, and 311 for a variety of audiences. Her prior consulting work has included organizational strategy, performance management, and e-government strategy work for Accenture and Pricewaterhouse. Selected clients include the National Governors Association, the United States Department of Veterans Affairs, the National Criminal Justice Association, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, the United States Postal Service, the State of Michigan, the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development, and the United States Department of Commerce. Welcome to the show, Jane. I'm so excited to have you on our show. And I'm excited to be here. Thanks for including me. You're welcome. Um, so let's get started. Can you share with us a little bit about your career path in technology? You have such an impressive background and so much great experience. I'd love for the listeners to um, kind of go through that journey with you a little bit. Sure. Um, I guess, you know, in thinking about career path in technology, I can't say that there's any magic other than two things. One is be open to opportunity, and the other is work hard, and you'll mm -hmm. create opportunity. Um, so my specialty now is really in how 
data and technology can make government better. And that's where I spend my time on research and writing and consulting and training. Um, but I wouldn't have guessed at the start of my career that this is where I land. And it's been a series of fortuitous turns that have been, you know, coming back to being open to opportunity and working hard enough to generate goodwill that has created more opportunities. Um, so my very first job out of college was an example of, of being open to ideas. I was at a Christmas party and uh, family friends were all gathered to celebrate the holidays. And as a college senior without a job, I didn't really want to answer the question. But one of my father's friends asked, you know, what are you going to do after graduation? And I sort of said, oh, I don't know. And he said, mm -hmm. this was this was back in the 80s before Wall Street was such a, um, uh, well, it was it was at the time a much a, a much more uncomplicated mm -hmm. uh, view that we all had of Wall Street. And um, he said, you know, if I were your age, I'd go to one of those Wall Street investment banks and have have them pay me lots of money while they trained me. And I thought, huh, it had never occurred to me until this friend of my dad recommended it, and I did. And it turns out it was a great way to get basic quantitative training for two years while meeting interesting people, having fun and getting a good paycheck. Mm -hmm. um, so then I went to graduate school for government, which was something I'd always wanted to do. And coming out of that again, I was at a loss for getting a job coming out, you know, graduating with a master's degree from Harvard. I thought it would be easier to get a job, but I graduated into a recession. And again, I was asking for help and someone at the Kennedy School career office said, why don't you talk to these people? And it got me started in management consulting. And so it was just being open to ideas from others that took me to a path of where I feel like every job since then has used the same skills, which is quantitative analysis, and logical storytelling to create compelling narratives that move government into a positive direction. I love that. Wow. Uh, being open to ideas and being open to trying new things is really such a such an important part of any career path because sometimes you don't know what you don't know and then and when you start uh, down a path, you may realize how much you love it, like, you know, basically what you did. So uh, did you always know that analytics and this storytelling was like a passion of yours? How did you, what was that spark? How, how did you find out that this is what I really love? So um, two things. One is I want to go back to what you said about um, being open. Mm -hmm. You know, when honestly, when I took that first job in management consulting, I took it out of desperation after looking for work for six months and not being able to find anything, and I didn't mm -hmm. think I'd like it. So I think another bit of advice that I like to give people is you might surprise yourself with what you like. You know, I thought consulting, ugh, you know, just borrow people's watch to tell them what time it is and, you know, make recommendations that might sit on the shelf. And I didn't think I'd like it. And it turns out 
you know, to answer your question, I realized once I tried it that I liked it. Mm -hmm. And working hard enough, I got to be reasonably good at it. So, um, you know, I think that is that was for me a good lesson in letting the letting the path unfold and in a surprisingly positive way. That is great. Um, so, you know, as a woman in technology, um, do you see that women have the same opportunities as men in a, in this industry? Well, I think that they're really, it, it's really hard to find industries where women get paid more than men and have more opportunity and have more fun and have more confidence and more everything. Um, but, you know, there's, there's been a lot of progress made in the decades that I've been in the workforce. Um, my first job out of college, the recruiters worked really hard to get to 50-50, and I was in the first analyst class at what was then called First Boston, now Credit Suisse. Um, I was the very first analyst class that was 50-50 male-female, and that was a big deal. I have mostly, though, worked in environments that are predominantly male. Mm-hmm. Strategy consulting, investment banking, um, even, you know, in government, I've done a lot of work in the law enforcement area, which is a male-dominated area. Um, and in a way, I feel like that's given me opportunity because sometimes when, you're, when we're small in number, we have to be stronger. And sometimes there are, frankly, benefits of being one of the few women that, uh, you know, I've had sometimes, I think, opportunities that I wouldn't have had if I were just another, just another one of the many, many uh, men in the room. I agree. I think, you know, having self-confidence, having the skill, and then being open to ideas and working hard, as you said, really create those opportunities for women. And sometimes we're our own worst um, enemy, where we are in our heads saying, you can't do it, you're not qualified, you know, whatever those thoughts might be. So creating those opportunities for ourselves is also critical. Do you feel that that way as well? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. What, you know, what's that I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt said something like, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. Mm-hmm. Very um, so true. I think it's important for us to really have the ability to believe in ourselves. And, um, you know, I will say I'm on the policy and uh, strategy side of technology. I'm not actually in the kind of hardcore building, you know, building software, building algorithms, mm-hmm. uh, building technology. I'm not on the engineering side of technology, and I can't speak to what it's like to be a woman in that part of the industry. And I imagine it's an awful lot harder. Yeah. Um, so I want to I want to not be glib, and I want to be respectful of you know the the commentaries that I read of women who have a difficult time in other parts of the industry. I want to honor that and um, and and really empathize 
and uh, that just hasn't been, that hasn't been my path. But I think it's really great for our listeners and women, especially listening to this show, that they realize there's so much more to technology careers than being a, just a coder, because a lot of times girls, young girls are always thinking if they're going to be in technology, they have to be coding. And there's so many other careers within technology that are just so fascinating and uh, pretty lucrative in most cases that um, I think to see that there are other positions that you can excel in outside of the coding is very beneficial. Right. Now, I certainly. Oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, I certainly think it'd be great if there were more women in the side of the industry that I'm in, which is more policy, research, consulting, training. Um, so let's bring yeah. women in in all aspects. Yes, and that's that's our goal. You know, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is uh, girls in in STEM education, and so we're always doing different programs and field trips to get girls, usually ages eight to thirteen, interested in actually um, understanding and being aware of what uh, the STEM fields are, and um, and that's really helping. Hopefully it changes our pipeline so that our future numbers are not declining like they are now of women in technology. So working very hard to build that pipeline. And so I think all of us need to kind of think through that and bring women more into the fields that we are in. So we're lifting each other up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, one place where I've seen women really in uh, strong numbers is in city data analytics. Mm. Uh, there's been a certain amount, there's been a bit of turnover recently, but at one point of the half dozen leading city data analytics leaders, you had women in charge in Pittsburgh, Boston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, and now also in uh, New Orleans. Um, so, uh, and recently named in New York City. So at the city level, a lot of the data leaders are women. That's great. That's great to hear. Now, as a woman yourself in technology, what are some of the challenges you've faced and what did you do to overcome them? Well, I think a challenge that everyone faces, uh, male or female, is just staying current. And it's hard to do because the volume and velocity of information coming at us nowadays is, is so much, uh, it's just a much higher volume than, uh, you know, even five, 10 years ago. And I think one of the best ways to stay current is to have a network and have people uh, to share ideas and information with. Yeah, it is very difficult to stay current and you know, continuous learning is on all our agendas every day. Um, but to keep up with all those changes is just really, really difficult. So yes, I, I can see why that's a challenge. And, um, you know, just by reading and learning and, and talking to people and staying in the industry, I think those are all ways um, to stay relevant and stay current. Um, 
you know, you talk about data and I think about how how much data there is today in our world and that analytics, how critical it is. And finally, companies are now taking that uh, information and making really good educated decisions, um, everything from retail to obviously government, um, taking that data, analyzing it and coming up with some really strong relevant decisions. Tell me tell me a little bit about that. What are you seeing with all this data out there? Are, are, is the government and other entities using it to streamline processes? What, what are some of the things they're using the data for? Well, the way I see value in data is really threefold. First is government's finding ways to get a financial return on investment. Second, we're getting process efficiency improvements. And third, there are places where data and transparency and technology are actually improving public faith in government. And and that's very hard to measure, but very important because we're at all time lows of uh, trust and confidence in our government. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of the financial return on investment, there are, um, you know, there have been two separate billion plus dollar takedowns of fraud at the U.S. Health and Human Services Inspector General's office. The chief data office there, uh, chief data officer there is, uh, by the way, female, uh, Carol Brismalkowitz. Mm-hmm. Um, she's doing a great job and gets, she gets a $5 return for every dollar of cost for her agency uh, by taking out Medicare and Medicaid fraud. Um, so, I think that's a great example of financial return mm-hmm. that government is finding. Uh, there are other examples, you know, in um, finding tax fraud, um, finding uh, fraud in uh, business uh, licenses. Um, so financial fraud, you know, financial return on investment is one thing that is a little bit easier to quantify, but efficiency gains. Mm-hmm. There are many places where we're seeing, um, you know, 20%, uh, sometimes 100% improvement in the efficiency of an operation through application of data analytics. Um, you know, probably the easiest example there is a couple years ago, the city of Chicago took on restaurant inspections and wanted to develop a predictive analytics algorithm to prioritize and get to the places that were most dangerous first. Mm-hmm. So they now get there seven days earlier to the places with uh, critical violations of sanitation code that could make you sick. And that was, that's been quantified as a 20% improvement in their productivity. Um, so, and then the third way we can measure the value of data and analytics in government is by increasing trust and confidence in the government. And, um, city of Kansas City, Missouri, was able to do that by by aggressively pushing out data on their snowplow efforts. Um, they didn't change what they did. They just improved the transparency, visibility, uh, and public awareness of what they were doing. And they were able to make a major increase in uh, citizen satisfaction with how their uh, city was handling snow removal. That is amazing. Thank you for those great examples. I think it just shows you 
the power of data and um, how it can help in multiple ways. So that's that's really, really great. Um, so, you know, as a woman in in technology, tell me how if you think that you have any advantages or what things that women bring to the table that um, give us a better understanding of technology or teams or leadership. You mentioned, you know, um, many of the an analytics uh, analysts that um, are in all the different cities are women, which is kind of neat to see. So what what advan what skills do they bring to the table that that's unique for a woman? So instead of giving you my answer, I'm going to quote a Boston area uh, uh, CEO of a firm mm -hmm. who talked about the value of a diverse board. So when he started bringing more women onto his board of directors, uh, they were able to deliver greater returns on shareholder value. Mm -hmm. So. He said, why did profits go up at my company when we added women to the board of directors? He said, it's because men tend to come to the table with declarations and women come with questions. Mm. So what the way I connect that back to what I see in government is that I always say one of the most important qualities is curiosity. Mm -hmm. Right. We, you know, there are lots of people with technical capability, but you need to have technical capability as well as the curiosity and the creativity to pursue the why not kind of questions. You know, if we just keep doing everything the way we've always done it in the past, we're never going to make improvement. Making improvement and innovating is about asking, why do we do it this way? Could we do it differently? And having the confidence to question the status quo. And I think that's something that women can cultivate and that we should, frankly, try to uh, encourage. So I'll tell you, there's, there's so much possibility out there if we can really tap into this innovation and curiosity. Um, in government, McKinsey estimates there is a trillion dollars of value that can be captured through data and analytics deployed uh, more, more broadly in government. And uh, Deloitte estimates that 1.2 billion hours of work can be saved by the federal government. So, you know, a trillion dollars, 1.2 billion hours, whether it's that or whether it's in our own organizations, finding our own 20% improvement in efficiency of operations, whatever it is that we do, we have to just be tying back to our core mission. What are we trying to achieve? And then asking the question, how can we do it better? Yeah, I love that. Curiosity is so great. Asking questions, collaborating, bringing creativity and, um, you know, sparking innovation is definitely some of our strengths and we just need to capitalize on that more and more so that we can have more women um, at the table, in the boardrooms um, and in the technology, you know, um, industry. So great, great points of um, really looking at 
how we do things differently and what advantages the, that has in an organization. Um, so if, if you had to give some advice to a woman starting in the technology field today, um, what would you say? So I'm going to quote an old boss of mine who uh, passed away last year, unfortunately, uh, Ann Hopkins, who was a partner at Accenture. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, at Pricewaterhouse. Uh, wrong job. Uh, so Ann Hopkins said to me, there are five things you have to do on every project. Teach something. Learn something. Deliver a high-quality product that is perceived as a high-quality product. Make money and have fun. And I, I love think that's that. good advice. Isn't that great? Like I love that. Was, <laughs> I'm going to have to steal that from you. <laughs> that is yeah, great. Yeah. She was a really great boss, and she cared so deeply about her people. And, yeah, it was so sad that she passed away last year. Um, but her advice, her advice lives on, and I'm hoping through your podcast, even more people can benefit from her wonderful wisdom. Um, Could and, you repeat and, I mean, those I think that's again? another thing is, so it's, okay, teach something, learn something, Deliver a high-quality product that is perceived as a high-quality product. Make money and have fun. Love it. Yeah. So we will definitely, um, that is something I would like to carry on myself. And through this podcast, hopefully we continue, um, you know, uh, remembering Ann Hopkins so that uh, we learn from that. I think that's, those are great, that's great advice. Um, right. I mean, back to the point about having courage and confidence. Ann Hopkins made partner at Price Waterhouse because the Supreme Court said so. She was mm -hmm. discriminated against, and she filed a lawsuit, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. So that's a woman who had to have confidence to keep going against such great odds. Really? That and and because yeah. of her, we have more opportunities. Yes. So we have many, many reasons to be thankful to Anne. Yes. And I'm so yes. grateful to have had the chance to work for her. That's that's awesome. Um, so in closing, um, what would what would be three words that your friends would use to describe you? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, I think my friends uh, would say, number one, good cook. That's two words, though, right? Uh, <laughs> so we'll say chef. chef. Okay, number one, yes. chef. Um, number two, they would probably say athlete. And number three, they would probably say loyal. That's great. You were Those probably are... looking for technology words. But no, 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 no. <laughs> three words that would describe you can be anything. And that, you know, really, truly uh, shows your authentic self. So that's that's awesome. Your Your career, your background... Your education has been just so impressive. And I thank you so much for taking this time to be on our show so that our listeners can can learn more about you and learn from you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun just getting to think, you know, uh, often we kind of get stuck in what's, what's today's deadline instead of thinking about important questions like the ones you've raised so thank right. you this was really fun you're welcome i'd love to have you on a show in the future 
That'd be great. Thanks. Thanks again, Jane. Bye-bye. All right. Take good care. Bye. And now an exclusive offer for our listeners. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Thanks for listening to Technology in the Right Direction, your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world. To download this week's show or listen to past shows, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Past shows are also available at ewnpodcastnetwork.com, as well as through iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out how to be a guest on the show, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, we hope that technology takes your business in the right direction. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.